so. What are you going to do tonight, Marty? I don't know, Ma. I'm all knocked out. I may just hang around the house. Why don't you go to the Stardust Ballroom? What? I, I say, why don't you go to the Stardust Ballroom? It's loaded with tomatoes. It's loaded with what? Tomatoes. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week we are starting the 1955 nominees with the winner, Marty, which makes me very nervous about the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah, um... This is not the worst movie we've watched. It's not even quite the most boring movie we've watched. But this is the most, I 100% know why the Academy picked this, and I don't like that about this film, (laughs) movie that we've watched. This movie won an Academy Award because it was brave enough to make somebody as unattractive as Ernest Borgnine its lead. And also Gene Kelly's wife. Yeah. As the ugly girl. (sighs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. This is such a constant Hollywood problem, right? Whenever they're like, let's look at the lives of ugly people. But we can't actually cast anyone who isn't attractive because then they will look bad on screen. (laughs) I think it is well written because Patty Chayefsky wrote it, but it is badly performed. I don't think these actors know what to do with naturalistic dialogue. Like, the point of the repetition of naturalistic dialogue is when people are just naturally talking and talking at a pretty quick pace, they don't always really think about what they're saying. And so you have to kind of toss it off the way people toss off actual conversation in real life. And instead, this movie has tons of actors who are like, this other novel I read, the guy found a dame in it. You know, a dame on the corner. You know what? I think maybe it's the same novel I was just talking about. And it's like, that isn't... A person would say that phrase, but they would not say any of that that way. Yeah. And it's really distracting. I guess we should do the, like, 20 seconds of plot. Marty is a guy in his mid-30s that has not gotten married, even though all of his brothers and sisters and cousins have. He's kind of pushed around by his mother and his friends for being kind of a schlubby-looking dude. He meets a plain-looking girl who, again, is married to Gene Kelly in real life (laughs) at a ballroom. The two of them have... An okay date, I guess. His friends try and harass him into not going on another date with this girl for various reasons. And then at the end, he's like, you know what? I'm going to go date her even though you say she's ugly. And then that's the end of the movie. That is literally the whole plot of this film. And watching it, I, 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 first of all, when we got to the end of their date and I checked the time and there were like 10 minutes left in the movie, I thought... Oh my god, how are we going to do a podcast about this movie? <laughs> not because like like you said it's not that bad of a movie. I would even go so far as to say like it's not engaging to watch, but I wasn't as bored as I have been like you said in other movies that we've watched. But this is like what if before sunrise but instead of being like kind of pretentious art student types who talk about the meaning of life and shit which 
is enjoyable. I'm maybe because I'm a pretentious art student. <laughs> um, but also, it's like there's not a lot of plot. Like they walk around Vienna after dark and you know chat about stuff and then sleep together and that's the end. And Marty and Clara do not sleep together in this movie because it is 1955. But yeah, they don't even like talk about anything all that important. Most of their conversation is Marty talking about whether or not he should buy the butcher shop that he works at that his boss is about to sell and like what the finances of that will be because supermarkets are becoming a big thing and her talking about whether or not she should take this job in Portchester. Yeah, I I actually think... The date is the least engaging part of this whole movie. It's also 90% of the movie. Yeah, I mean, not... Well, yeah. 70. Yeah, I mean, well, honestly, not even. They don't meet until the 30-minute mark. And then it's like half the movie is the date. And the date, it certainly is not Betsy Blair's fault, because I think she's kind of the best actor in this movie. She just isn't given much to do. Like, there's literally an entire scene that's just Marty monologuing about how he's monologuing too much, which is like a real awkward date thing, but again, is played way too actorly. The dialogue is asking for such a more subtle and casual performance than almost anybody in this movie is getting. I think the women get it way more than any of the guys do. You know, the subplot actually, I think, is the best acting in this movie between the two Italian sisters. Yeah. Now that I think about it, which we left that out entirely. But the movie is called Marty. It's supposed to be about him and his whole experience of being this ugly guy who wants to date an ugly girl, which again, like, please put ugly in finger quotes anytime that I say it on this podcast. But that, to me, was actually the more compelling part of the film. So like, we should touch on that, <laughs> or we should at least mention it. Well, I, I think we should also mention, as, as sort of a, a parenthesis around this, that all of the B-plots, everything that isn't Marty going on this date, basically, was added to flesh this thing out, because it was basically a one-act play. And even at really adding subplots for literally everyone in this movie... It just comes in under 90 minutes. But the plot for his mother is that his mother's sister is apparently the, like, worst mother-in-law on Earth and is just absolutely torturing her son and her son's wife. And they beg Marty's mother, who's the sister of this woman, to let marty's aunt essentially stay with them and marty's like yeah sure and then the aunt then proceeds to make marty's family's life miserable by constantly insisting to the mother that marty's gonna leave you this is what children do is they get married and they leave you and so after spending all of act one encouraging marty to like go out and find a girl this is why in Act 3, the mom spends all of her time going like, I think that girl was ugly and she's terrible and not Italian enough. And you should stop seeing her. <laughs> yep. And I'm kind of interested to know what the one-act play version of this is. Because apparently the whole plot about him wanting to buy the butcher shop 
which is all he talks about on the date, is also an addition for this. And you don't really learn very much about Clara in the original one-act play, apparently. Like, her life and even the shot of her, which I think is kind of the most affecting thing in the entire movie, after his friends kind of harass him into not calling her when he said he was going to, they just cut back to her sitting with her parents watching TV and quietly weeping. And it's like, oh, this is actually the unexamined drama of the lives of the little people thing this movie wants to be doing, but is making all the rest of it way too big. Mm. That's the most affecting moment of it. Yeah. You're right that all of these B plots that the movie adds in are way more engaging than what the plot is. But I wonder if those things kind of steal the thunder and unbalance the actual meat of this thing in a weird kind of way. Because you're adding in all of these unnecessary on some level details about Marty's life and Clara's life and Marty's family, you're a little bit unclear of like what the nub of this story is until the very last scene where Marty just kind of yells at all of his friends for being assholes and calls Clara. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess that that's supposed to be the thrust of our film. <laughs> and it really doesn't feel like it, but okay. Yeah, I mean, I think the thrust of the film obviously was like him coming to, I guess, terms, quote unquote, with wanting to be with this ugly, quote unquote, girl. The problem was it felt very much like he'd already figured that out and the backpedaling felt unearned. Yeah, I think to me the thing that becomes unclear because of all the B-plots is how much is this a plot about a guy who has let himself be pushed around by the world deciding to not be pushed around by the world anymore? And how much of this is a movie about an ugly guy deciding to like live the life of an ugly guy with an ugly girl? <laughs> Because I think as presented, it's that second thing. But I do think that final monologue makes it seem like that first thing is what the movie's supposed to be about. Right. Except it didn't earn it. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if this was a tight 40 minutes. Would it feel more earned? Would it feel less weird and disconnected? Because there are moments of that through the film. There are moments of people kind of pushing Marty around and him going like, okay. But then there's so much stuff in between those because you got to like do the subplot with the mom. You got to find out more about Clara's life. We got to talk about whether the grocery store business is pushing in on local butcheries too much to make buying a butcher a good investment. That, that stops feeling like the spine of this movie and starts feeling like a bunch of weird disconnected shit that happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the stuff with the mom and her sister definitely feels totally disconnected. And there does seem to be this weird, like, the gender politics of the 50s are really starting to fucking bum me out. And we're only on year five. And it's interesting because I feel like they were not this bad in the 40s and 30s. <laughs> but the whole, like, oh, yeah, your wife is a pain in the ass and the mother-in-law is like a long-suffering, also pain in the ass, but in a different way thing really seems to be coming to the fore here. Plus the way that 
a number of movies we have watched have dealt with things like consent and entitlement for men and what they should expect from women comes out in this from this guy who otherwise is, you know, like the sweet sort of guy who stands up to his friends sometimes about this girl and doesn't ditch her to go out with some like prettier girl that they have lined up. And then at the end, he does blow off calling her, which just felt really out of character. But so did the kiss situation. That, like, incel fucking monologue that he gives really was gross. <laughs> yeah. She she declines to kiss him after she goes back to his place. And he... And in a, another thing that I think, like, hey, if you played that as a small and casual a moment as it actually, I think, is supposed to be played... I think that would actually be a good scene and a good moment. Right. Like if he just threw off the line, like, oh, I was just trying for a little kiss instead of like, oh, I was just trying for a little kiss. He literally does the like stereotypical teenager rebelling against their parents, like shoulder pull (laughs) thing of like, oh, I was just trying for a little kiss. This is the biggest thing that's ever happened in my life. And it's like, no, it's not. She just didn't want to kiss you. Like, fucking calm down. Right. As written, it doesn't need to be this fucking incel monologue. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I mean about I don't want to blame this script. Because I do think there's a, like, nice little 40-minute character study here about a guy that has been pushed around and let a lot of other people make decisions in his life, deciding to make the first real decision of his life. I think that's what the through line of this movie is supposed to be. And instead, because every individual moment of it has to be cinema, (laughs) it's weirdly insulting, not just to the audience, but to these characters, because it's like, oh, when you're like this ugly and boring and kind of stupid, it's probably like a really big deal when like a girl that you kind of like doesn't kiss you on a date. That's probably the biggest, most important thing that's ever happened to you. And it's like, no, no. And you should also make sure that she feels really bad about it. Yeah, it is going way too big on basically every level. So the fact that it clearly still won for cinema should talk about the little people more is weirdly insulting And pissing me off a lot, despite the fact that I don't think this movie is that terrible. I just think this movie is terrible at the thing it ostensibly won for. If it won because of the Italian sisters talking about how dreadful it is to grow old and have their daughters-in-law treat them like shit and not be able to cook, then I would go with it because I thought that was actually kind of funny. Yeah. And it was at the level that this movie wanted everything else to be like them being melodramatic was funny the rest of this being melodramatic didn't really feel that funny like the fight between marty's brother and sister-in-law where she's like we have to get some privacy and it felt like they were taking cues from fucking streetcar named desire in that fight yeah this is not this okay like there is no stanley kowalski level shit here Her wanting some privacy and not wanting to live with her mother-in-law sleeping on their sofa feels like a pretty legitimate ask. 
So apparently the original TV drama version of this from two years earlier, and apparently that plot is still in the original, the plot about the mom and her sister. But it is way, way smaller and doesn't have a bunch of the subsequent scenes where the aunt needles the mom about how your children getting married is terrible, which it is a strange adaptation the more I read about it because it seems so central to the format of a sub-one-hour TV drama. Like, it's that size of story. It's those plot beats. It has the cadence of commercial act-in-act-outs and not, like, three-act structure act-in-act-outs. And it just sort of feels like that scale of story... And instead, they're like, let's make this a huge prestige movie about what a small movie we're making. Right. (laughs) And then they go way too big with it. It is that. It is a prestige movie about what a small movie they're making. Uh, That's just perfect. Yeah, I'm, I don't know what else to say about this movie, except that one of the things that it definitely made me think about is how much the Bronx, as opposed to the rest of New York, has not recovered from the 80s and 90s. That was like the vast majority of what I was thinking, because the places where they go out and hang out and are like running around at one o'clock in the morning, there's not a whole lot of things that are open anymore. It's still pretty low income. I mean, which is not to say that, like, there aren't plenty of people who live in the Bronx and that there aren't, like, businesses and things like that. But compared to what is going on in this film, it is definitely not the same place. That was the vast majority of my thoughts while watching this movie was, oh, man, they're going to go hang out at Grand Concourse at one o'clock in the morning. There's nothing to fucking do there at one o'clock in the morning except change trains. There's a very brief moment where Marty tries to convince his mom to sell her house and move to the projects. And I'm like, ooh, ooh, I'm glad the mom's going to resist that one pretty hard. I mean, he doesn't say the project, so you just have to know. Yeah, you do just have to know. Because they're not, at that point, the projects. But they are, what he is referring to. Yes. Is that. Because in 1955, it was the, like, new community developments that, like, were going to sort of change the face of New York. And then uh, they did, just not in the way they were supposed to. I think that, like... The most interesting things about this film you're right to, like, hold on to are the screen test of time things. Are, like, how much New York has changed. Because this actual relationship is barely 40 minutes of compelling content in a 90-minute movie. And I don't even think they're playing that 40 minutes right. Another thing I don't like about the gender politics of this film, and, you know, it's fine, like, People who are sort of shy, shrinking violets who have been beaten down by the world and still live with their parents in their 30s can exist, and that's okay, and can be women. But it was also like, oh, of course, like, he's the chatty one who has lots of friends, and she's the total fucking loser. (laughs) An ugly girl is a total fucking loser, where, like, at least he can be, you know, the fun guy that the guys like to hang out with. That is absolutely a thing that I think this movie is playing wrong. 
Like, actually, I will go out on a limb and say, I think almost everything wrong with the gender politics of this movie is about the acting and not about the script. I think it is fairly clear that Marty's friends all suck. I think that's clear even in the direction of this film. Like, they're the worst. <laughs> and that they're not even really his friends. He's just kind of the, like, group punching bag a little bit. I get what you're saying. I think that Clara, in that way, is kind of a victim of the movie fleshing her out. Because, in a weird way, I think it would be better if she was a little bit more of a cipher. That she was just this girl he met because some dude was a huge dick to her at this ballroom. And they go out for this night, and he really enjoys the night, Mm -hmm. but his friends all kind of try and push him into you know, going out with them and trying to find, you know, a hot girl or whatever they think they ought to be trying to do at a ballroom. A hot tomato. A hot tomato. I did think let's bring back calling girls tomatoes. I did I did think, I think the gender politics of that is very bad, but in my defense, it's funny. Yeah, I'm actually fine with just bringing back calling anybody tomatoes. <laughs> this movie has two types of women. You're either a dog or a tomato. And like... Try explaining to an alien which one of those is good and bad. <laughs> uh, yes. Anyway, I think that making a film that didn't say what Clara's deal is, besides that she's a school teacher and this guy was an asshole to her, which I gather is basically all you learned in the original teleplay, makes her a better character in a weird way. Because... One, it makes it a little bit clear that, like, Marty is projecting a little bit onto this relationship, which I think is still there, but I don't know if the film thinks that's intentional or not. Like, I don't think that's the necessarily the film's intention. I just think it's, like, true. They've been on one date. Mm-hmm. And two, I think it makes her have this weird sort of agency that you can assume an agency that we're just not watching on screen, Whereas when you see her being passive way more, you're just like, oh, so I guess she's just kind of like passive and waiting around for Marty to call her. And a lot of her performance reads that way. Because here's the thing, there's a lot of silence in her performance. And instead of her, I don't know, seeming to be sort of engaged with what he's talking about and sending back some sort of clear signal of interest, when they're in that diner her shoulders are forward and she's like kind of all curled up into herself and looking really nervous and sort of like a droopy dog you don't why why she could actually like be a person she could actually think oh man this guy is full of shit and but whatever like he's cute fine just give her something other than like no one has ever paid attention to me before in my entire life for sure And, again, I don't know how much this is just me being bored by the movie, how much this is me going, like, I know Patty Chayefsky writes one of the best movies of all time, like, one of the best scripts for a film in history, so I don't want to rag on him too much, and how much it's just, like, I was desperately trying to think of how to make this more interesting so my brain didn't shut down, but I do think that there is there is an interesting little character study here of the two of them. 
that I think she's playing to the best of her ability and playing pretty well, even though the script's, I, I do think, getting in her way a little bit more by fleshing her out in kind of weird ways. And I just don't think Ernest Borgnine is very good in this. I just think he's overplaying it. He's playing it as this big dramatic role and not as a guy who's kind of a pushover. It doesn't really feel like a big change for the character when he yells at his friends because he's kind of been yelling at his friends for the whole movie. He's been yelling the whole movie. <laughs> and s- I mean, I understand what you mean about Patty Chavsky's writing network and so you don't really want to rag on him, but the guy was 22 at the time. Most people's stuff at 22 is not their best work. <laughs> Yeah, I think really what I would say is I don't want to rag on the dialogue of this. I think the dialogue of this is just played badly. I do think the way the script is bad is very clearly that he was asked to flesh this out to a 90-minute movie and had maybe an extra 10 minutes on top of the original 50-minute screenplay that he had ideas for. Uh, yeah. And kind of just was vamping for time on a lot of the rest of it. A little bit that's like, hey, fundamentally, I don't think this should have been a feature film. So I don't know how much to blame Patty Chavsky for it, but also took the check, wrote the script. (laughs) So it's not great. May well be the best movie we watched this year. I, I don't. I deeply, deeply hope not. But I, as you have mentioned a few times, this is the one year where you hadn't heard of any of the other films in it, which is never a great sign. Yeah. Yeah. I think that happened like once in the 30s, and that was also a pretty bad year. Yeah. I mean, luckily, there's only five movies in this year instead of, you know, 10 or whatever. Yeah. So there's that. Um, yeah, I. Next week's movie has a pretty good cast, so, you know, maybe we'll like it. What is, well, we should rate this movie. Like, so boring. Yeah, don't, first of all, don't watch this movie, I don't know, like a three. Yeah, I may try and track down the original teleplay version, because I'd watch 50 minutes of this, especially with a different cast. (laughs) And, because I think there's Oh, man, poor Ernest Borgnine, we are just trashing this guy. I don't even know how much it's his fault versus like what the director was looking for. You know, it's possible that he was like giving the performance the director wanted from him and the director was just fucking wrong. I mean, the acting choices in this movie are so consistently over the top and bad that that feels like a director's choice. I would lean in that direction. I think he is giving the wrong performance for this film, but it may have been the performance that was asked of him and he may be doing... I think he's doing a very good job doing a kind of overwrought 1950s melodrama performance. I just don't think that's what's asked for here. The director did a lot of movies for television, and it feels... It feels like that. (laughs) Yeah. And... Three... Yeah, I said three. I think three makes sense. Yeah. I'm sorry. I totally missed you said three. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, I three is... Sure. It's it's kind of like, it's so, uh, it's so immaterial Yeah. that this is just like a wisp of a movie that isn't very good, but it's because it's essentially a, not even 24 hours of a story, like. 
who cares? That focuses on one person. Like, you can do a day in, in you know, New York City that has lots of different people. Or that has, like, you know, something really high stakes that happens. But the highest stakes thing in this is, like, will he or won't he continue to date this girl? And, like, I'm sorry, that's just not that interesting. No. I mean, especially when you're not concentrating on any of the stuff that even makes that a question. Right. Will he be able to overcome the resistance of his family and friends is a bigger deal if it seems like he's spending a lot of time with his family and friends and cares deeply about them and is able to be influenced by them. And instead, it just sort of seems like he kind of knows his friends are dicks. He loves his mother, but is very clear on the date that like, hey, she will be fine without me. And so it doesn't really feel like a dramatically interesting question because it doesn't feel like there's really much resistance there. Yeah. (sighs) Don't watch this movie. It's not great. Yeah. Next week's movie is Mr. Roberts. Don't know anything about it. It's directed by John Ford, which for me is always a coin flip, but it does star Henry Fonda, who is typically pretty great. Jimmy Cagney, who is a good actor who sometimes irritates me. Jack Lemmon, who is fucking hilarious, and William Powell in his final film performance. I have literally no idea what it's about. I assume a guy named Mr. Roberts. (laughs) It looks like we're in for some Navy bullshit. Oh, your favorite. Yeah. Yeah, John Ford on a boat is not your jam. Oh, God. Um, Well, at least it's not the Yellow Face movie we're going to have to watch this year. Oh, God. There's a yellow face movie this year? Love is a many splendored thing. Oh boy. Though they do their she's Eurasian thing they like to do a lot. So tune in next week to hear about the movie that is not the yellow face movie, but is something to do with the Navy, which is never David's favorite. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I just, before we leave, and maybe I should... I will not remember to say this next time, but I love that the Wikipedia page for Mr. Roberts lifts the running time as 120, 123, or 120, 121, or 123, or 126 minutes. What the hell? (laughs) What the hell is that about? I, I, my brain is broken. Um, yeah, that's fucking weird. Uh, uh, so tune in next week to find out exactly how long Mr. Roberts is. Because it is apparently... A matter of some debate. Up, completely fucking up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> um, <sighs> until then... This wasn't really a movie. No. This was a one-act play that they tried to force into a movie shape. And it didn't work. Yep. That's, yep. And then somehow it won Best Picture, so... Yeah. Fuck. (laughs) Tune in for the next four weeks as we solve that fucking mystery. (sighs) Bye, everybody. Goodbye. I'd like to see you again. Very much. The reason I didn't let you kiss me was because I just didn't know how to... handle the situation. You're the kindest man I ever met. The reason I tell you this is because I want to see you again. Very much. 
I know that when you take me home, I'm just going to lie on my bed and think about you. <laughs> 